Welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. We are coming to you live on a Monday morning. I am recovering from sickness. My son picked up uh, a cold, which I've learned or heard that this should be like the normal course of action. You know, as he's six months old, I've just heard that this is like a normal thing for me now is um, sickness will just run through my house every month, once a month, maybe. Uh, but we are joined by Ian Herlock, who uh, we had the chance just to meet this morning and uh, we've interacted on LinkedIn a few times, but um, it's awesome to meet you, Ian. And uh, where are you coming to us live from today? You too. Thanks, Jeff. Um, so I am joining you today from Dublin, Ireland. Uh, sunny Dublin. Sunny Dublin. Uh, is it sunny? Not sunny. Or I just say that because I'm hopeful, but it's not sunny. <laughs> uh, well, I'm excited about the topic that we have later, but before we jump in, I always like to do a couple icebreakers and we get to know, <laughs> know somebody. Um, so uh, first question that I like to ask is, uh, what did you eat for breakfast this morning? Uh, this morning I had a very British breakfast. So I had a cup of tea and some toast with marmalade. Very Whoa. stereotyped. Yeah. Not regular <laughs> breakfast, but I stuck with my roots today. I like it. Uh, mm. what, kind of, what, what kind of marmalade? Just like thick cut bitter orange marmalade. <laughs> orange marmalade. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had, uh, in case you're wondering, I had um, some eggs and an English muffin. And uh, mm. I had a large cup of coffee. Uh, my son was up twice choice. last night. Yeah. Are you a, are you a tea? tea uh, no, not really. Or? Not really. No. Uh, we also have a young baby and my wife has started drinking caffeine more regularly. So I made the tea for her and then I thought I can't be bothered to set up the <laughs> coffee machine as well. So I had tea. <laughs> I like it. Um, all right. If you could live anywhere else in the world besides Dublin, mm. where to be? And it sounds like just from our conversations, you've traveled quite a bit. So I feel like you probably have uh of all like a ton of different places that you could live yeah. so where uh um, you living in dublin where would you live well to appease your american audience which sounds like there's a lot of americans uh my wife is from ohio i would not go ohio for the record but we may we may end up there one day um but uh i only have two u.s states left to visit alaska and hawaii and so probably either of those because i've been saving them because they seem special you know yeah i like in that. many ways um, i mean i'm a cold weather i'm a cold weather person like i love crisp cold days so probably alaska oh wow uh we are opposite i like <laughs> nice warm days uh that's why i'm in south carolina uh also for our american audience i mean Generally, if you, I mean, I think nine times out of 10, you're doing the right thing by saying you're not going to live in Ohio, uh, especially from South Carolina. There's a interstate that runs directly from Ohio to South Carolina oh, yeah. uh, into the beaches. And so uh, I've, you know, I've, I've grown up with many Ohioans coming to, uh, to raid I our beaches. That. And, I heard yeah. that. I see a lot of uh, bumper stickers, if that's what you call them, with Hilton <laughs> yeah. Head on the back. That is, that's where Never I Never been up. there, but it seems like a lot of people from Ohio go there. Yes, that is actually where I grew up. And that is, uh, the stereotype is that, yeah, people come from directly from Ohio and they come raid our beaches. So um, I don't know if we made any friends from Ohio on this episode. Um, so we got interacted on LinkedIn around this idea on scaled customer success. And it's definitely becoming something uh, that we're talking about more and more often. Um, and so we were looking at it from like the data side and mm -hmm. uh, kind of talking through, uh, at least I think I posted something on LinkedIn about um you know, some of the observations I had from a recent conversation, but uh, the idea of pushing pushing all your data into Salesforce or pushing all your data into a customer success platform um, just doesn't seem like it's it's yielding a lot of benefits for customer success teams. I think it's creating a lot of yeah. data challenges. They can't then um, 
utilize the data in the way that they want to, maybe through mm-hmm. um, some tools, some synchronization, maybe some automation. Uh, but then also they're having challenges uh, analyzing the data and being able to pull out key insights that they can um, kind of report back. So uh, I'm curious, just, you know, uh, it sounds like through, you know, your times as uh, leading and, and building customer teams, you've looked at this and, and um, maybe adopted customer data platforms before. So how did you yeah. approach that? And why do you think that a customer data platform kind of worked into your tech stack? Yeah. Uh, so I'll start by saying, like, obviously, as you said, my experience is mainly that companies use CRMs as a replacement for uh, somewhere to store their data, right? And although it's good to give sales visibility into what you're doing with the customer, uh, it doesn't give any other function, any visibility or usability of customer data, right? And so my experience of investing in a customer data platform, in this case being Segment.io, who got uh, acquired by Twilio, I think, um, was that I was in a scale up and um, I was partnering very closely with my product marketing teams because uh, the business model was that of a freemium business model. And so scaled was even more important for us, right? We didn't have any high touch motions in place uh, and we recognized that everything we did needed to be done with as maximum efficiency as possible. Uh, And what we found um, by investing in segment so firstly, it's a huge cultural change, right? Well, I'll say you'll need a lot of cultural buy-in from so many different functions to invest at this level. So you're asking your product and engineering organization that for every action a customer takes on your platform, they're going to need to track that. And that is a big habit to form, right? And so everyone needs to buy into the value of that. Um, but once they're bought in and they start to see the benefit, even from, let's say, tracking, you know, from the user sign up page, like your, your, your platform sign up page through to, I don't know, five pages in on the onboarding journey. If you can track all of those events, like our experience was that we doubled activation, right, in two weeks from launch of this. And so if you can prove really quick wins in a small siloed way, that would be my advice on the best way to start. And as you go down that journey, like the visibility and usability of the customer data is so great compared to any other solution I've had that it's really a no brainer once you can prove that. Did you, and so you mentioned kind of getting, getting buy-in, right? Because um, I would say like, sometimes we run into a fallacy of like the customer team, customer teams have the data, uh, have all the data on the customer, but um, there's actually other things that would be really beneficial to push into there. You mentioned um, product and engineering, right? We want to get some of the product data. Um, Naturally, the customer teams probably own things like support, um, implementation, some other things that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, any any sort of data with customer success or NPS or CSAT surveys, that type of stuff. Um, But then you do think about, you know, there's probably Salesforce records. How do we get some of the account data in? And then also like, uh, I actually think marketing has a great role to play if we've got uh, ways to to understand if our customers are, you know, reading certain articles on the website, if they're engaging yeah. with certain content that we have. And so um, you are right in that it actually doesn't just need to be like the customer team that is pushing data into this data platform. It really needs to be, hey, this is actually, uh, this is our 360 degree view of like the customer. We're putting them at the center yep. of the business and everybody is contributing to, like it's all, like everyone bring data to the table basically. Um, exactly. To build that picture of that customer. Yeah. And even like you mentioned their marketing, right? So like from a marketing lens, 
uh, obviously you can track cookies, right? Of people who are pre-sign up. Um, one of the benefits the segment brings with its identify fun function is that you can track those anonymous users around and see what they're consuming before sign up, right? And then when they're signing up, you get their consent to say, hey, do you mind if we bring this data with us so that we can personalize your journey is essentially what you're asking them. And so uh, when we talk about uh, adoption and onboarding, like the onboarding phase of the customer lifecycle, which you know is where most customer success leaders will probably start their focus uh, if they're building out a team. If I can say to you, hey, um, I'm not going to say it to you because it's kind of creepy, but if I know for you've been on my site, you've checked out the pricing page, I know which areas of the pricing page were most interesting to you. I then know that you went to our blog and read these three articles. I know what content is relevant for you. That gives me a hell of a lot of power to personalize your onboarding journey and make sure you're seeing value as quickly as possible. And so yeah. that's the, that's where you want to get to, right? That's where customer data platforms allow you to get really quickly just in the onboarding phase. And every day you're building up a clearer and clearer picture of each of your users or members or customers to a level that allows you then once you have scale to cohort them based on power user behaviors. <laughs> then you have your ideal customer you can feed that back to marketing. You can feed it back to product. You can feed it back to user research. You can feed it back to design. And they know that who they're designing for and they know what they're looking for. And therefore, you can optimize every element of how your business shows up for a customer. That I love that insight about um, creating those cohorts, right? And Because I think sometimes it's, it, 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 um, it goes both ways. Like I think marketing... Um, oftentimes I think customer teams are looking and saying, okay, well, we're selling to these customers because marketing and sales have done this market analysis and here's, here's where our TAM is, right? Or here's where we're going to go after, yeah. here's our go-to-market motion. Um, but oftentimes we forget we're seeing the most successful customers on the other end. We're saying, okay, these are the ones that are getting up to speed in the least amount of time, right? Time to value is, is greater. Um, these are the ones who are staying the longest. This is the longest time to value or uh, lifetime value that we have, right? There's all these things and elements that we're looking at uh, and we need to be able to feed that back in so that it keeps honing yeah. the profile uh, more and more. And, that, and I think the other thing that, that tends to happen um, that I think people might get stuck on as well is, um, you know, is we almost create too many pat or too much um, there. Uh, we create too many difference or variants of like um, from, from cohort to cohort, right? There are certain differences in things, but I think sometimes people think, yeah. okay, well, if we're going to go deliver a personalized journey, it has to be personalized for Ian specifically all the way through, which yeah. the customer never expects. I don't ever expect an yeah, yeah. experience for me to ever be personalized for me. But if I input or if I give you a couple pieces of information, like, hey, I work for a B2B SaaS company. Uh, here's how many employees I have. Here's how much revenue I have. Mm -hmm. I'd love then for you to use that to say, hey, people like you or people like your company often have these challenges. So, Hey, here, you should, you know, look at these types of functions or features or, Hey, here, have you thought about this process yeah. to implement your company? Like yeah. that to me is where you can um, start to create some of those cohorts that, that say, Hey, this isn't um, going to be exactly a one-to-one -one fit because every business is unique, but Hey, look, we, we know based on all these customers that have come through uh, that you are going to benefit if you look at this, these types of things, or we help you implement this. Um, and I just think sometimes people, people kind of miss that. They think, Oh, if I'm going to personalize it, it's gotta be to the nth degree. Yeah. And exactly. Like if you look at all of the, so obviously you don't want to go too crazy when you think about how much you want to personalize. I agree with that. But if you think about your content repository in your community, in your help center, in your blog, wherever you have helpful content, right? For users, 
Um, I think the most practical place to start with that is when you get users to sign up, you take thermographic data, right? You know what sort of company size, job function, title, you know what type of user they're going to be. Are they going to be the admin? Are they going to be a power user? Are they going to be, you know, you have different user personas. And if you can do it at that level, um, again, in the you make the platform feel like home for them, right? Because you delivered them the most relevant content you have available. And why not do that if you can automate it? Um, so I agree with you. Yeah, don't you don't want fifty different personalized onboarding journeys, but if you can complement it with relevant content to help them realize value quicker, it, it makes sense if you can do it at scale. Yeah, like it, I think you just called out three things that I would say maybe could form the base of what somebody could use, which is that firmographic data, which is like yeah. um, employee size, maybe revenue size, industry. Um, you capture their function, their job title, kind of function area. Uh, yeah. And then I think the last one is just sometimes I think we try and, and, uh, and also overcomplicate like what are um, what we're helping our customers achieve. And I think if you could have them boil it down into like, what's your single like biggest outcome you need to drive um, for make it a forcing function, you know, kind of in a, a pick list of something, then cool. Now I've got how big you are uh, in terms of company or like size relative to the market. Now I understand yeah. which role kind of which angle you're coming at from inside the company and great. Now I'm understanding what your biggest opportunity is for right now with those three pieces of information. Like you said, I should be able to give you content that should help you move in that direction. Um, and at least again, kind of right size where you are. Uh, so I think that's exactly. like a good, and again, not overcomplicating it. I think those things are all actually, I think all those pieces of information besides the, I mean, what's your biggest goal? Um, you know, you'd have to create kind of a, yeah. a way to capture that, but all the other pieces are like captured already in your Salesforce record or somewhere else. So you've got it available to you. And you said like biggest goal, right? I think the simple way of doing that, I mean, if you have a product that's diversified in terms of the things it can do for people, I mean, most products should do that. But, you know, if you have clear areas of use cases um, on the sign-up journey, asking them like, which one of these is more of a priority for you? I'm not a copywriter, do it in a nicer language than that. But if you can get them to self-select that, again, yeah. easy, really, really easy to, to optimize that journey for them. Um, when you think about your tech stack too, uh, maybe coming from the customer angle, um, yeah. uh, what, what were you kind of feeding in or piping into the, the data platform? Um, like what are some of the main tools that you feel like you, you all had access to? Um, yeah. So at that point in time, just to add a bit more context, I was leading a, a marketing team, a product team, a success team and a support team. So there was a variety of <laughs> software investments being made. Um, the main one for interacting at scale would have been Intercom. So we're using Intercom for support, for help center, for product tours. Uh, we were using AppQs as well for product tours before Intercom brought that out. So the experience of both of those. Um, and that's what helped us to quickly test new onboarding, like assisted onboarding journeys very quickly. Um, I will say, though, I'm much more of a fan of built-in onboarding. Uh, I think... Uh, overlay product onboarding has its place and time perhaps for earlier stage organizations but people go a bit too wild with how, how many steps they might put into it i think that's the biggest lesson um and then from an analytics and insights perspective so in, in the product growth team that i used to manage we used to use mix panel to design well to essentially like monitor and uh, design and test hypotheses um and cut uh using segment made that a hundred times more useful right so um when we thought about our key customers and cohorts and retention um mixpanel has super super good pre-built um 
functionality for that, but yeah. using the segment piece, um, this is an interesting one, right? So I think many CS and marketing leaders have a really good idea of what they want their happy journey. Well, I say what they want because sometimes it is what they want, but it's not what the customer wants. They have a really good idea of what a happy journey looks like for a large proportion of their customers, be it 20% plus, um, but using segment and mixed panel together uh, we essentially use funnel reporting to see where our drop-off is happening right in it's super high depth yep. and we use tree mapping so tree mapping was the best place for me as a leader to see where we were losing users where we did not expect to be losing users and i think this is a common tool used by product leaders mainly then perhaps by marketing leaders and then perhaps by cs leaders in that order right but yep. tree mapping with segment you don't lose them to an anonymous bucket. You don't lose them and be like, oh, well, they left, but we don't know where they went to. That, I think yeah. that's one of the biggest problems most people face in organizations. You don't know what happened to the people who didn't keep going. Yeah. And so because you've mapped everything, you can tell, right? And that becomes the most powerful tool to identify really quickly uh, drivers of churn that are, that are product-based. And so therefore you can assign ownership of that area to the right leader in the organization to fix. And so that could be bug related. It could be that somehow the user has been distracted by something bright and shiny in the platform and gone to a completely different place that you wanted them to. It yeah. could be that your onboarding journey is actually stopping them from going where they want to. Um, and all of the, like, those are three examples, but so many different reasons why people are not following your happy path. And therefore you can, then design tests targeted at those drop-offs to prevent it from happening or at least redirect them to the right to, to a happy state how how did you all approach um when you think about um again kind of thinking about some of the the conversations that i've had lately um yeah. i would say where i've where i've spent most of my time with a lot of our members is around um trying to help understand some of the operational pieces that they have like i think sometimes they know what to do but then it's like okay how do i stand up um just like you mentioned, like a testing process, right? Where we kind of go through, we test something, you yeah. know, we give it two weeks, we kind of come back, we look at the data, we kind of test something yeah. else. So uh, was there a way that you stood up operationally and said, okay, here's how we're going to, to run these test cohorts or, or whatnot? Yeah. Or is there any other operational pieces that you feel like was yeah. a great kind of win for that? So I think the biggest thing is alignment with product, right? Like you, when you're doing these tests, you need to make sure you're in a controlled environment as much as possible. So either they leave, they leave alone the cohort that you're dealing with for two weeks on your test and same for marketing, same with all the other functions, right? It's a, again, a habit that a business needs to build and transparency and buy-in from cross-functional leaders is really important here. But uh, to your point, yeah, we would generally run tests for two weeks so that we had a significant amount of data um, to be statistically significant. Um, and we would only have one controlled test every two weeks. So obviously that limits the amount of stuff you can test, but equally it massively increases your confidence in the results and yeah. make sure you don't then invest heavily in something that it was a complete lie, um, yeah. which often happens, right? Because we're forced in many cases in, in every CS world that I've ever been in to make decisions based on limited data. And that's precisely what we're talking about, right? Removing the unknowns as much as possible so that every decision you make is uh, you have a higher degree of confidence that it's going to have the intended impact. Um, what that testing looked like was essentially, usually it was um, a funnel chart. So we'd be trying to reduce 
drop off in in most cases um yeah. and so we'd mark we'd we'd draw out what the happy path was we'd test one would be like okay this is what we think our happy onboarding path is. i know i'm focused on onboarding but we can talk another time yeah, yeah. other life life cycle stages um so we'd be like this is our standard happy path we want for an onboarding customer we'd then mark where the biggest areas of drop off were focused there right so it's all about where do you, where can you have the biggest impact and that's how we prioritize so we take the whole audience of members yeah. or users or customers we map out that we see where the biggest drop-off area is and we think okay what are hypotheses around this we go to tree mapping we figure out okay where are they mainly dropping off that gives you a smarter list of hypotheses about why people are dropping off and then it surfaces issues right it typically is the journey isn't as clean as we thought so there's something we have to do in product and then second most common would be uh, there's a knowledge gap here that we need to fill and that is where you either answer that through great content yep or if your business margins support it, a higher touch motion, right? Uh, and by yeah. higher touch, it might be a group webinar. It might be send them to a community page. Like it, that's still higher touch than no interaction with a human mind, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, but I think people jump way too quickly to, oh, let's get on a call. Um, when that is- thousands of users are having the same problem here. So I would say either perhaps you need to do some group user research here to figure out what what the knowledge gap is define it more succinctly before throwing thousands of human hours at at that issue that you're seeing yeah that is um i love that point because the other thing that i I also um believe is that we're not pushing uh we're not kind of pushing our product or engineering teams in the right ways around some of these issues as well right like for instance the example you just gave you know uh we might want to throw um, an onboarding or implementation person onto the project. Yeah. And the first question in my mind is, okay, well, why do we need anybody anyways? Right? Like every yeah. tool these days, every app I get everything, you know, yeah. it's, it's tough to think like that because it's, you know, not necessarily the same thing, you know, we're dealing with businesses and business process and uh, change at the same time. Like, why does it require a person? And are there things that we could be doing that we're just, we haven't thought of, or we're not asking mm-hmm. the product team for, because it's not the sexy thing to do, right? Like, Hey, we want, you know, this other feature instead of like, so I think also like approaching it and thinking about, okay, um, can some of these elements that we're, we're helping to perform um, be pushed into the product to help develop a better experience um, and therefore lessen the amount of human time that we have to throw at the problem. The second thing I love that you mentioned is just um, throwing, bo- throwing bodies at the problem because uh, I think there's now this expectation uh, or there's this false expectation actually, that I think we assume customers always want a named CSM or a, yeah. a person to come in um, and that's not always the case. I mean, yes, I'm sure they're going to say, oh, that gives me greater comfort if I know that I've got somebody and I have a person and like they're watching over my account or my team. Sure, they're always going to say yes. But nine times out of 10, they just want to get the answer. They want to move on. They want to get back to their day-to-day life. And so if they can get it through community, if they can get it through other avenues, uh, then they're willing to do that. But the problem is, is that we've created uh, challenging ways for them to find those answers and then therefore they get frustrated and say well i need to talk to somebody because you know i couldn't easily find your community page or you know on the community page i couldn't even figure out where onboarding was or hey what the support article doesn't actually tell me what i need like so there's they're they're comfortable doing those things it's just that we haven't um i don't think that we've easily enabled them to go have those experiences in the right way um i'm sticking with the relationship between cs and product right so some practical things that i found really help here is like okay how can we be realistic with your needs right from product they have a roadmap they need to stick to it they need to prioritize based on you know what's going to get them the most user growth let's use that i'm just throwing out one example of what one of the yeah. priorities might be 
But it's unreasonable, obviously, for us to expect that CS can just ask product for product enhancements on a whim, right? And so how do you build a culture of customer first in your business? And there's many ways you can do that. Some of the really interesting ways I've seen that happen is like bringing your engineering team and having them participate in user research, like side-by-side user research sessions, right? They develop an empathy and compassion for your users that's greater than anything you could ever do keeping them away from the customer right yeah yeah um yeah. a practical another practical way is it's fair of that it's fair of them to ask you okay i don't want to talk about this every week i just want you to prioritize what you want to be done right yeah and so to build yourself uh you know using a platform like aha for example a product idea list that your customer facing professionals are voting on and upvoting the most important things that they feel will impact your customer and then sense checking that with your customer data platform insights and prioritizing that way and then requesting of your product team depending on the velocity you need that change is okay on a monthly or quarterly basis i need like one of your sprints for for basically the customer backlog yeah right? yep um and i think that's a reasonable ask because it uh, it also has the product and engineering organization then focus on inefficiencies and you know we all have to context switch so often the velocity you see from the engineering team when you actually focus on that list for a prolonged period versus like every one-off ask being a pain for both sides to deal with um you'll end up getting a lot more gain out out of doing it that way yeah i've also seen um sometimes these these challenges or problems that you would think of maybe as a little more um unsexy or like insignificant, right? Like, so, Hey, we want to improve this onboarding flow and there's some things yeah. we can do in the product. I've also seen some of the engineering leaders before kind of do a hackathon type thing, right. And say, Hey, we're all going to come together for a day. And like, let's just try and build, uh, we're all going to go, you know, create some other teams and you, you actually bring in, um, some marketing people, bring in some customer success people yeah. to like build out those teams. And you say, Hey, we're just going to have a fun day of like, if we reimagined what this looked like, you know, what would we do? And, um, you know, you go put something together that again, kind of, um, helps energize it, right? Because building uh, features and functionality for uh, the core product is generally a lot more fun than building like onboarding sequences or uh, you know things for profile like profile fields and fill outs, like all these like all these things that you might think sometimes are like mundane or kind of behind the scenes. Um, so I've seen that that too as a, a part of yeah. trying to build some of that culture of like, hey, let's go, let's actually go build like some fun solutions for something that isn't particularly always fun. Yeah, and I'm with you on that, Jeff. Like, I totally agree that the most impactful things most customer leaders can do for their customer are the stuff that is not sexy, right? It's not appealing. It's not highly visible. It shouldn't be highly visible to anyone because the biggest impact the ones you make are are the efficiency gains that happen behind closed doors, right? Um, yeah. So um, I know we've just got a, a couple more minutes here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we kind of talked through how you you went through to choose that CDP, um, and you really felt like, hey, let's get the data into the right place so that we can then um, yeah. make it usable, make it actionable. You talked about how that help can, can create some of that personalized journey, um, and I think we talked about some examples, right? But just getting some of the basic firmographic data, um, maybe one or two pieces about the the contact level, and then you know one or two pieces about what they're trying to achieve, and that can help yeah. create a a personalized journey for a long time. Um, you talked about uh, 
the CDP can help fuel kind of churn insights, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. you can start looking into certain areas, right? Hey, we're seeing certain um, churn reasons or risks coming in these different areas. And now you've got a way to uh, look at that data together in that CDP and be able to then um, go target and, and drive that. Uh, you mentioned testing and we kind of talked about your testing schedule. Hey, you got, you know, uh, kind of two weeks, let's gather the right amount of data. Um, the other thing I forgot to mention, but I, I love yeah. about your point too, is that uh, I think a lot of times <clears throat> we run into prioritization problems at organizations, right? Mm-hmm. You you don't work on problems for long periods of time because you yeah. generally have a shiny object syndrome where it's like, oh, we'll work on this. And then, oh, it looks like it's fixed. Let's go. So I like your point, right? Hey, we're going to do this for two weeks and we need to look at the data and then we need to prioritize what's next. We can't do all of these tests at once. So we need to prioritize and come up with a hypothesis about what's the biggest bang for our buck. Um, so you mentioned that. And then, um, the content piece, so understanding, you know, uh, personalized journeys, understanding uh, where people are, um, how that can fuel some of the content that we give them and that we um, get there. And then you mentioned kind of retention cohorts and uh, drivers as well. So, um, you know, trying to analyze not only uh, maybe where is churn happening, but what are the reasons and where are certain cohorts of uh, people that are uh, retaining longer yeah. and um, and staying and what are the, the what are those reasons? So um, on that one, Jeff, like, I think it's really important, right? If you're a high growth startup scale up it's even more important to invest in this early right because you get much more a much more accurate view of your ideal customer fit based on lifetime value based on customer acquisition cost and then you can get like the the golden ratio right of ltv to cac and um being able to do that early really boosts investor confidence that you know your customer you know who's the right fit you're happy to reject bad fit customers that's the biggest i think that's one of the biggest things for any early stage company is like you need to not over index your time on bad fit uh, and this allows you to do it in an objective way it's not opinion it's it's based on real data right yeah um yeah i love that i mean i I just think that my big takeaway from this conversation is just that um you know there are ways that you can uh you can kind of get outside some of the the norm of like how you think about um, data and platforms that you have today. We can get out into a CDP. Um, and I think the second thing is it just sounds like there are these um, methods and ways of building iterative testing, kind of this idea and culture of hypothesis test measure, hypothesis test measure. Like I think yeah. getting into this um, idea of being a little bit more nimble um, is going to be a, a huge benefit. And I think um, I took that away from today's conversation too. So um, Ian, uh, if people want to find more about you, um, Where's the, the best place to do that? Where can they get in contact with you? Uh, happy to connect on LinkedIn. The blue blood, full LinkedIn <laughs> employee member. Um, best place to reach me is is there, most likely. Awesome. Um, well, Ian, I appreciate this conversation. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, you know we'll get to stay in touch and um, keep talking more about these types of things. But um, I know our community will get a good benefit out of it. So um, we'll be talking with you here soon. Thank you for having me, Jeff. Awesome. Hey, everybody, Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, Be on the lookout also for live events, both in-person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon. Mm